0: All right, guys, it's good to be here with you. I've uh, heard from Tony about the work of God in this place and so I'm excited to be able to speak to you tonight. From the beginning, four years ago when Salt City Church was planted and Salt Company at University of St. Thomas and in St. Paul was a dream in our mind. We always envisioned that our church family would be multi-generational. And One of the reasons for that is as a young person who is beginning to learn to walk with Jesus, you need older people in your life who are a few steps ahead of you who can tell you what that journey is going to be like. And um, this afternoon, that really hit home to me because I was sitting on the porch of one of the members of our church who was baptized in the first year after we planted the church. And he had kind of had a long journey with coming to Christ. And one of the most influential people in his life in him coming to Christ was his wife. And last Thursday, she became the first member of Salt City Church to meet Jesus face-to-face. She died after a 25-year battle with cancer. And so tonight, I'm speaking to you guys. And on Saturday, I'll be speaking at her funeral And so, I feel like I'm standing between two worlds right now, and what I want to do is I want to prepare you for that day. And one of the things that could stand between you and seeing the face of Jesus on that day is that instead of living a life of authenticity before God and others, you believe the lie that you have to wear a mask and so, what we're going to see Jesus do through this passage is we're going to see him gently help us to take off the mask. All right? Three ways we're going to see him do that. The first one is he's going to show us the inadequacy of religion. Frankly, many of you have grown up religious but have never met Jesus. Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. Jesus addresses a group of people like that. It says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. So Jesus uncovers for this group of people that they honor him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. That's the essence of religion. It's to go through the outward motions without your heart being truly engaged with God. And so what you do when you're a religious person is you substitute reality with God for tradition. And so you put in place rules in your life to make it seem to those around you that you are good with God, while the reality of your life is that that is the furthest thing from the truth. The Pharisees had a couple examples of this. The first one is they washed everything. They washed their hands. They washed their dishes. They made sure that everything was clean, and they wanted to make sure that everyone else knew that everything of theirs was clean, and they wanted to make sure that everyone whose things weren't clean knew that they were dirty. And they bragged about it, and they boasted about it, and they thought that that made them right with God. The second thing that they did is they conveniently avoided the clear commandments of God by making up their own rules. So one example of that that Jesus exposes is that they refused to honor their parents. So what would happen is their parents would get to old age, and that day they didn't have nursing homes and that sort of thing. So kids were expected to take care of their parents. And their parents would come to them, and they would say, hey, we need some money so that we can live or have good health care as we die. And their kids, who were religious people, said, well, we're sorry, but that is... Money is Corban, which means it's been given to God. It's been set aside, and it's God's money, not your money. And Jesus says, they did many other such things. And I think it's also true in every generation that people find convenient ways of avoiding reality with God by turning church into a tradition by turning Christianity into a religion. So it is possible that you are here and that you raised your hands in worship, not because you have reality in your heart with God, but because you have turned this environment into a religious institution. You have pretended that you are a Christian with. Out in fact being a Christian. So I hear college students say all the time that when they came to college they made their faith their own. And what they mean by that is they met Jesus for the first time. They're just afraid to admit that all they had been doing in their previous life was a lie. And Jesus is graciously exposing the lie to us not because he hates us, but because he loves us and he wants us to have the truth. Guys, I drove this old Ford Taurus for a while. I tell people all the time that I'm like the most average guy in the world. So, the most average guy at some point in their life drives a 1999 Ford Taurus. And I did. And after a while, everything started going wrong with it. The alternator went out at one point, the window wouldn't roll down, the defrost went out on the windshield, so I would be driving down the road, and it would be fogging up, and I would have like, my hand out the window. Has anybody done that before? And you're like trying to wipe off the windshield out. It's just not a good look. But everything was going wrong with the car. But imagine if you saw me, and my car was smoking on the side of the road, and you saw me out by the road with a little can of wax, and I was taking wax out of the little canister, and I was waxing my Ford Taurus. And you pulled over, and you're like, okay, this guy clearly doesn't know anything about cars. And you said to me, what are you doing? And I said, well, my engine's smoking, so I decided I'd wax my car, and everything will be good. You would be like, you are an idiot. You don't fix what's broken on the inside of a Ford Taurus by cleaning up the outside of it And yet that's what we do all the time with religion. We think by cleaning up the outside of our lives that that somehow touches the inside of our lives and that God is tricked by our hypocrisy. But Jesus was and is God and so he was able to discern the motives of the heart and he was able to say to these people and he's able to say to us, you're wearing a mask. It's not true. Here's the reality. You might be able to trick every person in this room, including me, even if I got to know you really well. But you will never escape from Jesus. He sees everything. And so what is it that he wants to expose in us? Why does he want us to take the mask off? What does he want us to finally come to accept as true about ourselves? He wants us to accept the depth of our depravity. Look what he says next. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding?" envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So this is basically what Jesus is saying. Let me just give you like a bottom shelf summary so you can all understand. The problem is with our hearts, not that we're eating bacon, okay? So basically the way I like to summarize the whole Old Testament law is do not eat bacon, all right? And so God gave these ceremonial laws to people, and that's what the Pharisees are latching onto. But what Jesus says is, think about it. The problem is not with what you eat. Jesus says, think about it. You just eat bacon, and what happens? You poop, and it's gone. It's not really a problem. He's saying, you guys think that the problem is what you eat and what you drink and what you do. The problem is not what you eat, what you drink, what you do. The problem is much deeper than that. You're acting like it's this surface issue, but you have a heart problem. And here's what's coming out of your heart. Sexual immorality, sensuality, evil thoughts, adultery, and murder. See, everyone's trying to solve heart problems with surface-level solutions. People are trying to change the laws. People are trying to put a Band-Aid on a bullet hole. And if anything has been exposed in America over the last year, we know that there is no politician and no person who can solve the problem of the human heart. And Jesus puts his finger on it and says, I want you to think about this for a little bit. But why is it so hard for us to admit that this is true? I think the answer is not that it's not obvious, but that it hits way too close to home. We don't like to think of ourselves as evil. But let me do a thought experiment with you for a second. So I have been a lifelong lover of ketchup. Does anyone else love ketchup? So I'm the type of guy, literally from age from age six to age 22. And by the way, I'm not talking about that like organic stuff or whatever. I'm talking about the stuff with like the corn syrup, like the real <laughs> stuff, the good stuff. Like back in the day, people didn't moms didn't even know that stuff existed. We just got the real stuff. But from age six to 22, guys, I don't think this is an exaggeration. Every time I went to a restaurant, I ordered. A burger and fries. But the reason for that was because it was just a disguise to eat as much ketchup as I could possibly eat. All right? It's like you can't, it's just not socially acceptable to just fill a plate with ketchup and drink it with a straw. So I had to order the burger and fries. All right? But here's, here's what never happened in all my years of eating ketchup. This never happened to me. I never once turned a ketchup bottle upside down. I I prefer the glass Heinz 57 ketchup bottle, okay? Do you know this trick? That if you hit the 57, the ketchup comes out faster? You guys know that? Hit the 57 with the palm of your hand. They don't put the glass ones on the tables anymore. It's a tragedy. But anyway, I never once in my life turned the Heinz 57 ketchup bottle upside down and started smacking it to get the ketchup to come out and said, oh my goodness, There's ketchup coming out of the ketchup bottle. What is going on here? Call call the waiter over like, come on, man. There is ketchup coming out of the ketchup bottle. And here's what we do all the time. There is sin coming out of the sinner. What what is happening? Why is there sin coming out of the sinner? Why is there gossip coming out of the gossiper? Why is there sexual immorality coming out of the adulterer? Why is there a love for porn coming out of the guy who loves porn? Why? Because what Jesus says is true. And we just don't want to go deep enough. And do you know why we don't want to go deep enough? Because we are afraid if we are exposed, we will be permanently unlovable. And so we fake it. We fake it for each other and we try to fake it for God. And Jesus' aim in exposing us is not to condemn us, it's to show us a different way. And what he shows us over and over again is the wonder of grace. Look at this passage. Mark 7, verses 24 through 29, this is in direct contrast to what Jesus has exposed in the religious leaders and the disciples. It comes next in our Bibles for a reason. Verses 24 through 30 says, And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know Yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the little children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. So you notice at the beginning of the passage, Jesus is trying to hide. He's just tired. He's been doing a lot of ministry. He's both fully God and fully man. He gets tired. And he's trying to hide. And this woman and her daughter are so desperate to meet King Jesus that they come and find him after he has slipped into a house and is having dinner. And they enter into this conversation with him. And this woman approaches Jesus and she says, My daughter's had a demon and we desperately need your help. And Jesus says something to her that is almost unthinkable. He says, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Here's what Jesus does. He takes a common euphemism for mixed-race people, and he brings it to this woman's attention. He essentially challenges her assumption that Jesus would heal her and her daughter by saying, who do you think you are approaching me? You're a dog, which is what Jewish people called anybody who was not a Jew, but specifically somebody who was of two different races. They looked down at them and they despised them. So why would Jesus say something like that? Was he agreeing with the culture that she deserved to be condemned? No, he was giving her an opportunity to express what she understood that all of the religious leaders had missed. And so here's her response. Yes, Lord. Notice that. She calls him Lord. She's saying, you're the king. You're the master. You're in charge. What you say goes. Even though you just made this deeply offensive statement to me, I trust you. I trust that your heart is good for me. Even though you've exposed me, I will keep on going in relationship with you. And then she says, Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. What's she saying? You're right, Jesus. I am a dog. You see, what this woman understood is what God had been teaching his people from, for generations. See, in the book of Hosea, God calls his people whores. In Psalm 23, a passage that many of us like to quote, God calls his people sheep, both of which are incredibly derogatory. And this woman understood that it wasn't the righteous that Jesus came to call, but sinners. You see, here's the beautiful news of the gospel. Jesus doesn't want cleaned up people. He wants the people who have sexual immorality and sin and sensuality and porn and adultery. He wants the mess of them. He wants the sinners. And she got that. And so he called her a dog and she said, yes, I am a dog because she understood that this Lord was different. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to start a humane society. And he wants all the mangiest dogs out there. He wants all of you to come home. He wants you to take off your mask and finally admit maybe for the first time that it's as bad as he says it is. And maybe you've been hurt by a bunch of religious people, but Jesus isn't a religious person. Jesus is God, and he looks into the bottom of your soul, and he says, you're in. I came for you. You see, the wonder of grace is that we are exposed for exactly what we are by the good news of the gospel, and then we are told that, even though the news is far worse than we could have imagined, that in that place we are loved. So, here's my question for you Will you come? Will you admit that your Christian school background? or your Bible-believing family do not make you right with God? Will you let go of the sin and the shame of your past and understand for the first time that it is your sin that qualifies you to be a Christian rather than disqualifies you? Will you repent by flipping your understanding of Jesus on its head? Okay, if that was too much for you, let me just give you one verse to close. Okay, Romans 5, verse 8. Here's how Paul understood the beautiful gospel. He said, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. You see, it's not just that Jesus looks into your heart and says that he loves you. He proved it by going to the cross for you. See, the meaning of the cross is that Jesus was saying, my perfect life for yours. My sinless life for your broken life. When Jesus was squeezed on the cross, do you know what came out of him? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Jesus' best friends said he never sinned with his mouth. We never once saw him do anything wrong. And so on the cross, the righteous, the perfect one, died for you and me. And he's offering you in exchange. His life for yours. The reason that you feel guilty is because you are guilty. And we all know that the guilty deserve punishment. And you can either pay for your sins forever in hell, or you can let Jesus pay for your sins for you on the cross. That will prepare you for the day that you die. That matters. And so it's worth it to take off the mask and to believe. Let's pray. Jesus, I am a sinful man. What you say about me in this passage is devastating and it's absolutely true. Out of my heart comes anger and sexual immorality and greed and pride. And God, we've tried to cover it up. We've tried to put on a smile. We've tried religious performance. We've tried running to addictions and running away from you. Jesus, there's someone here who wants to come home. I pray that you would assure them that it's okay. Okay. That your arms are wide open. That you love them. That you want what's best for them. And that they can trust you, even with their secrets. And that as a result, God, this would be a community that is different. That's marked by transparency. And trust. That we would love each other as you've loved us, Jesus. Pray this all in your name.